from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, Joe Hendrickson, City Suburban Hoops Report. Guy I've respected for a long time, have talked to for a really long time, and there are a few guys I like chatting to more about basketball, basketball recruiting, than Joe Hendrickson of City Suburban Hoops Report, and he brings it. Uh, He's the goods, and he brings the goods this week, talking about one of his favorite prospects. That's Illini commit Merez Johnson, who just had a big week on the national stage, both at uh, the NBA PA Top 100 earlier this month, and then follows that up with a strong Peach Jam performance. Seems like he's uh, rising a little bit in these rankings, and he's been all Illini. So we talked to Joe Hendrickson about Merez Johnson's development, what he feels about him as a prospect, and uh, what he thinks he could uh, add to Illinois. So great insight from Joe on that, but we also talk about more in-state prospects, including Jason Jackstis. We get a good scouting report. I think it's a... It's a balanced scouting report from Joe Hendrickson on the Yorkville 2024 big man, maybe stretch four. Uh, Joe shares some thoughts on him. Also on Phoenix Gill's development and what he's looking forward to seeing him, his junior season, as well as Jeremiah Fears. And uh, Joe's got a take on Jeremiah Fears that I think is really worth listening to. And dive into a couple bigger topics with Joe, including is leaving the state, as a lot of these high school prospects are doing, is it good? For these guys, is it beneficial to leave the state and go to some of these prep schools? Joe talks about that and also talk about the impact of the transfer portal on prep recruiting. Uh, and even towards the end, talk about the the impact on the high majors. Uh, not the high majors, the mid-majors. So it's really good insight from Joe on that. Just one of my favorite guys to talk to. Uh, we are also self-loathing White Sox fans. Uh, so we chatted a little bit off the air um, about that. And uh, we don't know where we're going. We don't know about the White Sox, but that's not why you tuned into this podcast. The other thing I want to hit on before we get to Joe is Northwestern football has fired head coach Pat Fitzgerald. I got to be honest with you. I am still reeling from that news. I, I am still just taking time to process that that is the actual reality. And I'm not saying whether they made the right decision, wrong decision, like Pat Fitzgerald with the hazing that happened and nobody argues it happened, people can argue about the severity and they are there are allegations that this was really severe, maybe even sexual assault. And then there's some that are saying this is overblown. And a lot of the players unexpectedly are are coming to Pat Fitzgerald's defense. Um, But Pat Fitzgerald, whether it was willful ignorance or at best, right? Or at worst, he knew the hazing did nothing to stop it. Or as some players are suggesting, former players that have stepped out, um, that he might have encouraged it. That is enough to get fired. Um, 
Now, the way Northwestern has handled it, and I'll dive into this, leaves a lot to be desired, and I'd have huge questions about that. But he's the golden boy. Like, this is the golden boy of Northwestern football. He has made such a positive impact on that program, both as a two-time Big Ten Defender of the Year, the best player in modern history of Northwestern, helped lead him to two what I think nowadays are BCS Bowl games, right? They made the Rose Bowl in 96 and then 97 uh the 96 season into 97 they made the citrus bowl that northwestern for most kids my age or younger adults my age or younger northwestern's been pretty plucky right since pat Fitzgerald became a player there but before that they were a doormat in the big 10 for the last three decades pat Fitzgerald has been a huge reason that northwestern football has been good in the Big Ten, winning Big Ten West championships in in 2018 and 2020, for them to consistently make bowl games and then to start winning bowl games, they they won four straight bowl games um, in Pat Fitzgerald's the end of his tenure here. He is everything Northwestern wanted. He stayed there. He's always been tied to programs like Penn State, USC. He kind of had this All American boy image. And to be honest with you, in the times I've interacted with Pat Fitzgerald, I, I don't know Pat Fitzgerald that well, but I've been around him. I've asked him questions at media days and, and press conferences and all that. He's charismatic. He's outgoing. Uh, he's he's a great face of, of the program, or had been, for Northwestern. So for all of that to just implode like this, it's just a stunning development that Pat Fitzgerald and his alma mater uh, where he made such a great impact on that football program. Like, this is a statue guy at Northwestern, if this would have continued to go. Like, it felt like he was going to be there, and Pat Fitzgerald's, what, 50? He's going to be there for another 20 years, and he was going to be their guy. Uh, and now, you know, I, I don't want to make judgments. Like, I, I think people want to do black and white, that Pat Fitzgerald's evil, or he's all good, or whatever it is. Uh, we all live in this gray area, but this guy was had this golden kind of aura about him at his alma mater Northwestern and now there's just this very gray legacy um, but obviously this hazing was seems extreme like I, I was a part of a fraternity okay um, now we didn't do much like that never got to this level there were some little initiation things nobody was ever in danger um, but some people might look down on some of the stuff that even I went through in, in five, six years before I was initiated, that we had a huge hazing scandal at my fraternity that was way worse than what I went through. Um, but I enjoyed my time in the fraternity. Um, I'm sure a lot of Northwestern players thought this was not a big deal. Seems like a lot of them thought it was not a big deal, but it was hazing. Like, nobody's arguing that. And for Pat Fitzgerald not to know, no, I don't buy that. Like he had to know something. And then you come with all these details of the whiteboard, um, the clapping, I, you know, we can debate the details. I don't know if we'll ever know the full thing, but the way Northwestern handled this is a complete lack of leadership. This has been a train wreck from their leadership, which is all pretty new in their roles. But the new Northwestern president, Michael Schill, how do you go from a two-week slap-on-the-wrist suspension in the middle of July when Pat Petro was probably on vacation anyway, and then just fire him three days later based primarily on the same information we already knew. Most of this stuff that has come out and kudos to the Daily Northwestern. 
Most of the stuff they, that has come out through their really good reporting. Medill School is a really good journalism school, even if you don't like Northwestern. Um, to change your mind like that just based on public perception, it's ludicrous. It is absolutely ludicrous. And it's really opened them up to the lawsuit from Pat Fitzgerald. I, I think they'll settle at some point. Pat Fitzgerald's going to get a big payout for all of this. But boy, this leadership looks pretty awful. Like, if you're Northwestern, you get this report, and we're all reading this, and we're like, this is really weird, borderline, could it be sexual assault? Like, none of us were there. Like, But some of this report, like, there's some stuff that, that makes you feel uncomfortable, right? And there's definitely haze. If you wanted to keep Pat Fitzgerald that bad, and understanding his history, I can understand why the donors, why the board of trustees, why the president who's new there, the AD, who inherited Pat Fitzgerald, who's probably got more power, right, than, Pat, than uh, Derek Gregg. The new, the new athletic director. I can understand that, but like you have to come out, release the report findings, as uncomfortable as that is, suspend Pat Fitzgerald for a few games or give him a, a harsh punishment and then have Pat Fitzgerald go in front of cameras and say, I let this get too bad. Like this, this got too bad. I, I was negligent at times. Like I need to have better control of my program. This is not what we stand for and we will do better. And we're going to have these things in place. Like make a passionate plea. I don't know if all that works to save Pat Fitzgerald, but at least gives you an opportunity. Like that's the crisis management they needed here. But no, they thought a, an old school Friday news dump uh, would just let this go by. And maybe it does without the daily Northwestern's reporting. You know, and as somebody in the media, like the Chicago Tribune does not have a Northwestern reporter anymore. The Sun-Times does not have a Northwestern reporter anymore. But uh, the Daily Northwestern was able to report this, corroborate it, and that's led to action. And that's what we're taught in journalism school is to hold powerful people to account, and they have. And now Pat Fitzgerald has been held to account. But this, this reminds me a lot of Illinois during the Mike Thomas era. Because there's a, a real lack of leadership and control of a program. Like Derek Gregg does not have control of his house right now at Northwestern. And remember, he was not the first choice for Northwestern. But Mike Poliski, who was hired to replace Jim Phillips, and Jim Phillips, I'm sure, will have to answer some questions at ACC Media Day. But Mike Poliski was, had to resign 10 days into his tenure because of his handling of accusations of sexual harassment and racism within the cheerleading program. Now we get the football hazing scandal and yesterday Danny Parkins 670 score is the first to report the allegations of a toxic culture inside the baseball program and a coach that Greg hired so remember Mike Thomas during his tenure two abuse scandals under hires he made Tim Beckman and Matt Bowen and then multiple player arrests in men's basketball it just felt like what is where, where is the accountability where is the leadership in that program for Illinois Back in the early 2010s, and it feels the same right now for Northwestern. Like, sometimes, you know, Fitzgerald kind of shows us, you know, who we think are leaders. It might be hard to perceive that uh, every day, but um, Northwestern certainly seems to have a lack of leadership at the top right now. And uh, I'm going to be interested to see what happens with Greg and Schill moving forward because Northwestern faces a long, rocky road ahead. You know, just talking with some people, the fan and donor base seems fractured. They have plans for an $800 million stadium renovation, or not renovation, construction. And Pat Ryan was a big Pat Fitzgerald fan. Pat Ryan's the 
big supporter for Northwestern. Is that going to happen now? Um, now you face this lawsuit with Fitzgerald. Could be pretty expensive there. And we already knew Northwestern football was not in a great place here. I mean, they had the COVID season where they won the Big Ten West. But three of the last four years, they've won one game in the Big Ten. They lost 11 straight games to end the season. So the Northwestern, our grandparents um, or our parents grew up with, could be returning where they are a Big Ten doormat because they were already struggling in the age of NIL, the transfer portal. But Pat Fitzgerald kind of got them through most of that or you know, helped them be competitive and, and really successful during the modern era. But they were already starting to struggle a little bit on that front. And now you throw this into it where you're going to have some fractures. You know, a lot of academics on campus are not fans of sports, and we've seen that at Illinois too. But that's where you need a leader like Josh Whitman to stand up and kind of unite people. And I don't see it with Northwestern right now. The thing they got going for them is they're in the Big Ten, and they got money. But this is the toughest Big Ten job by far. It's one of the toughest Power Five jobs in the country. So I don't think they're going to have a lot of coaches who are doing well right now pounding down their door. But it is one of... 30-something, 32, I think it's going to be, Big Ten or SEC jobs. So David Shaw would be the guy I would call first. I don't know if it happens now or in November or whenever it is. He's still just 50 years old. He led Stanford to great success. Stanford and Northwestern have very similar profiles. Bronco Mendenhall, I don't know if he'd come out of retirement for this job. You know, I've seen Matt Campbell mentioned boy, that'd be a, a home run hire for Northwestern. But like Matt Gamble's got to be thinking, hey, if I don't leave for one of these schools now, is it going to be there? Like, is, you know, Do you stay long enough at Iowa State that it doesn't work out? Like he's, I think he's taking Iowa State to as, as high as it's going to be. So would he be interested? I struggle to see that. Jeff Monken's always mentioned for these Power 5 programs, but they kind of shy away uh, because of his option offense. So he's, he's going more to a spread now. Maybe that'll help him, but he's an Illinois native. I think doing something different can work at Northwestern. Hiring a guy from West Point might not be a bad optics kind of thing. And you can go to the Young Shot Hot coordinators, Sharon Moore, Sean Lewis, Colorado, Tommy Reese. Do you go get another alum? Mike Kafka, New York Giants, offense coordinator, former Northwestern quarterback. Would he want to do that when he could be a head coach in the NFL soon? I don't know. They certainly have a tough sell. I, I think you have a sell because you're in the Big Ten, but do you trust your leaders right now to do it? You know, Northwestern was such an envy, really, of Illinois d- 10 years ago when you have Fitzgerald competing against, and, and his charismatic personality, against Beckman, even against Lovey Smith, right? And they rattled off all of these wins. Bielma comes in here, changes the thing. Bielma and Pat Fitzgerald pretty close, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to ask Brett Bielma about this and just his reaction to all of it eventually. But this this is this has been stunning. It's been a stunning fall from somebody that I thought would be at Northwestern forever. But I, I guess what we got to learn is you know, we've seen Joe Paterno, we've seen Jim Tressel, we've seen Art Bryles, we've seen some of these coaches, Bob Huggins at West Virginia, his alma mater. And boy, that story kind of gone under the radar. That's an odd story. Sometimes you stay that long, um, bad things can happen. But uh, obviously, Pat Fitzgerald 
for him not to know this, I just have huge doubts. And if he did know or just willingly didn't know, in air quotes, then this is worth firing. But it's just, I still can't get my arms around it because it's Pat freaking Fitzgerald and what he means to that Northwestern program. What are they without him? I don't know. Because really, it's been mostly 30 years since you've had to ask that question. It's kind of a scary spot for Northwestern to be. All right, when we come back, Joe Hendrickson, City Suburban Hoops Report. I'm Rez Johnson, Jason Jackson, Jeremiah Fears, Phoenix Gill, and how the transfer portal has affected prep recruiting. That is next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. All right, so one of my favorite guys to talk to on this podcast. We always appreciate his time. He's got great insight, and that is Joe Hendrickson, City Suburban Hoops Report, and Chicago Sun-Times contributor. Follow him on Twitter, at Joe Hoops Report. Well, Joe, we're kind of back to a focus on some prep basketball recruiting. I made that point on this podcast a little bit. Um, it's nice to see some preps get some shine in this era of the transfer portal getting most of the focus. Yeah, and also for Illinois specifically because you're talking about a program – and not, not to the fault of their own because there have not been a ton of high major prospects of late in Illinois. And here they are, uh, got on board with a top-ranked prospect early on, secured him, and it's played out perfectly for them. You know, they've got a relationship that's not even a question of, you know, basketball's different than football. Football, there's always that concern of decommitments and, and taking other visits, and basketball's not that way. But Merez just continues to climb. Merez Johnson uh, is without question the top prospect in Illinois uh, from the Chicago area here. And boom, they locked him up early. And he's flourishing. He's shining. And Illinois fans, the coaching staff, anybody involved in, in Illinois recruiting, which is a second sport uh, for fans, you've got to be ecstatic. Because I, I, I just think Merez is everything to do with winning he is about all the right things i know it keeps being said over and over again but it's the one attribute i don't think you can talk enough about because uh it's what makes programs tick it makes what programs win uh and he brings all those intangibles does he have things to work on yes but uh he's physically ready from day one Uh, i can't even imagine what he's going to be like with with fletch and and what a college strength and conditioning program is going to do for him uh, but it, it's his, what's in his head. What's in yeah. his head is, I mean, just he wants to do all the things others don't want to do. And for and you get a big man that are already hard to come by in this day and age. Uh, it's just a huge win for Illinois and a boon for, you know, this recruiting class, whatever it ends up being. Heck, it was almost two years ago, Joe, that, that he committed. And, and we asked you on this podcast what you thought of him, and you were a fan of him then. Um, and he's kind of a throwback. It kind of reminds me of like the Tracy Abrams days of, of kids committing this early. It's pretty big rarity nowadays. But what kind of development have you seen from him uh, during the last year, particularly what's been on display in the national stage the, the last couple of weeks with the NBA PA Top 100 camp and, and then Peach Jam? I think it's a combination of assertiveness and confidence. And, and he, he was always a confident player because he was a high-profile kid early on. But it's that assertiveness and, and the the production going from here and there to, okay, I'm doing this every single day in terms of numbers, the effort, the energy, but figuring it out, how to do it, how to get it done. I think he's matured in that way. Uh, and utilizing his strengths. That's a, you know High school players have a tough time sometimes understanding them true selves of, of who they are as a player and what is going to lead to production. Morez doesn't try to do too much. And I think 
that helped. I think he was doing that early in his career, trying to do a little bit too much out of his comfort zone, uh, becoming or trying to be a little too perimeter oriented. Mm-hmm. I think he went to, you know, use that blue collar approach to his benefit. And, and that's why he's progressed in, term, in terms of productivity. Does he have room to grow as a player? Yeah. I mean, all high school players do. Is he a pretty unpolished offensive player right now? Yes. But there are, there's things that he can do without having that ideal skill set to still produce. And that is get on the glass, you know, loose balls, keep balls alive, run in transition, um, finish all these things that he can do with his physical attributes and strengths. He's doing it at a high level right now. Yeah, Joe, and it, it just all that stuff seems to translate to, to the college game and the college role that, that he will have. Like if he re, like reminds me a little bit of Ty Rogers. If you rebound, defend, you focus on those those winning Very things. Similar. Yeah, you're you're gonna find a way to, to get on the court. Um but we, we do think at least most people I talk to think there's another level he can get to. So for the his development, what do you think is the key for Illinois once he gets here to develop him and, and to compliment him on the court? Well, the compliment part is, is going to be important with what pieces you put around him inside the four and the five and interchangeable. Ideally, what you'd love for Morales to be able to do is be that interchangeable four or five. And and he's got to be more of that four. You know, I, I just think the decision-making with the ball in his hands, uh, that coupled with just being able to stick that little jump. It's not broke. I mean, that jumper um, has ways to go. But if he can showcase a little bit of that uh, from the skill area, uh, that's going to raise his level. Because he's not – the somewhat of an issue would be, you know, he's not 6'10", 6'11". Yeah. Um, you know, he's 6'8", 6'8 and a half. Uh, and he is more five to me right now than four. Uh, I, some probably will disagree with me on that. But I, that's just how I see it. And But, again, we can get back to being that interchangeable big man piece – I, I think that's going to be a huge advantage for him and, and any coaching staff that, that can utilize him in that way. He's one of the few kids who's sticking around in state here, Joe. Yes. Uh, he, goes, he goes from St. Rita to Thornton, going to p- play with uh, Ty Streets, who obviously uh, is coached with Mean Streets at, at Thornton. Uh, what do you expect out of him, or what do you want to see out of him as a senior? Well, kudos for Merez. I mean, he, he if you ever talk to him, he's a, you know – Everybody is, is said a lot, the cliche. Great kid. Man, he is. I mean, uh, besides being about the right things, just the way he articulates things to you and, and what is important to him mm-hmm. uh, stood out to me, even during that whole, you know, everybody gets uptight about all the transfers in high school basketball now. Um, they forced this kid's hand. I mean, the program was in shambles. The coach left. I mean, it, it, it was just a, just a bad situation at St. Rita. But to his credit, uh, he found the importance of what it means to stay home, to, to play and be around family and friends. Uh, and that's not the mindset of top flight players around the country or, and even in the state, as we've seen. Uh, there is something of value to him to, to do that here. So, you know, Thornton is a, a little bit of a rebuild. They've added two other transfers. So... Uh, you know, I have an event in, in January uh, when sides collide. Thornton will be in it, and I'm excited because I think they're going to be, you know, obviously with Merez, but they can be a top 10, potential top 10 team from a team that really wasn't very good, very uncharacteristic. Like, but Merez is just what he is. He's going to be a Mr. Basketball front runner. 
Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he can put that team on his back because there were so many pieces at St. Rita, even though he was the key figure at St. Rita with James Brown and Noyes Indesitis and, and all these high majors, but he's kind of the sole guy at Thornton now. So it'll be interesting to see just kind of how he handles that role, uh, as a senior. Joe, we've talked about the state's best talent leaving the state. Like we've talked about it a lot and it continues to happen, but we want them to stay here so we can see them. Uh, I, I think there's a great history of high school basketball in the state now being back in Champaign for the state championships, but does this help them to leave? Like what are the benefits and negatives of this for, for the kids? I, I ask this question with college coaches all the time yeah. and it's almost always off the record. They don't, and every situation is so different, Jeremy. So it's hard to paint a brush for everybody because right. But by and large, uh, I have just kind of heard that, in my opinion, it kind of goes with this. The, 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 I just look at Jalen Brunson still did what he did. Max Christie did what he did. Uh, they're, 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 I don't think there's one avenue that is perfect. Right. Uh, it, it just comes down to what's important to, you know, Cole Serta, uh, Bloomington Central Catholic has decided to leave. Uh, go IMG. I mean, I, me personally, that third decision. Uh, in Notre Dame, I mean, all these different schools have different opinions of what they should and shouldn't do. And I, I just don't know if there's a specific – I'm not really answering your question very well. <laughs> I, I I don't like it, but I'm just so biased. Right. I, <laughs> right. I, I, you know, I, I talked to a coach the other day. He goes, Joe – just get a kid, get somebody that can rebound for him in the gym. Uh, go, go, go work out. You know, I, there, there's just so much value to, to, to being the piece at the guy at your high school, uh, and, and, and playing some high stakes games that matter with you as the focal point, as opposed to maybe going to a prep school somewhere and being the sixth man or seventh man, uh, not being able to do that. But then again, you know, there's some situations where kids are playing practice against nobody all day long at a very low level, uh, and they're they're practicing every day, competing against Division One players every day in practice, so it goes beyond just the games. Right. So there's value. I get it. Uh, I just don't think it's the be-all, end-all, and it's proven that it doesn't have to be that way by, you know, some of those, I could go on and on uh, with names like Jalen Brunson and Max Christie and Cameron Christie and... Um, you know, even Jeremy Fears to a degree, uh, you know, left, came back. I don't like when I hear reasons being for McDonald's nominations, rankings, and I hear that more than the development piece, to right. be honest. So uh, that that stuff is just like, come on, uh, who cares? Right. But all that stuff is – because you're getting that high-level play and competition, Jeremy, in AAU. I mean, it, right. it's – and McDonald's games, they really don't care how you do as a senior in high school. That's all established and done uh, prior to that. They're not even seen in high school much. So anyway, it's a it's a just a wide range of answers for individual kids. Joe, I want to ask you about a few other kids in state. Um, Illinois shown a lot of interest in Jason Jackson, twenty twenty four big man out of Yorkville, Illinois, comes in with uh, one of his first high major offers here. What kind of development have you seen on him? Because like he's the kind of guy like if he did develop, 
you think would be a good compliment to somebody like Moraes, it feels like. Yeah, and you know, I'm a straight shooter with all my in my recruiting service, and I have him as a mid major. You know, yeah. um, I, I get what people see. He's I, I'm I'm actually from Yorkville, uh, but grew up there, and and uh, you've seen his development over the years uh, as this late blooming, developing big six ten. I, I I see what Illinois sees in him. Um, I just. I look at the past experiments of the the Liebs and the Jermaine Hamlins and the uh, the flyers you take, and you hope one of them hits. Uh, he would not be ready for a while at a Big Ten school. Uh, he just has, from a physical standpoint, particularly. Uh, but yeah, he, he this past weekend he started good, kind of fade a little bit. Um, What's interesting, and, and again, I, I give credit to Illinois; they do what they want to do, and and in terms of and that's what all college programs should do but again and i'll usually when a high major offers a lot foul yeah uh it's just it just happens you, you just saw this weekend with angel Ciarvino from uh mount carmel finally one offered and boom 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 three four others filed right away um you know jackson came out this weekend still you know he's a coveted mid-major guy you mm-hmm. know mid-majors would love to have him i still think he's a developmental piece at the mid-major level uh, that's going to take some time, but you know he's a he's a skill big six ten. Uh, he can move, just physically he's not ready, and the productivity, the the consistent production, uh, is partly the lack of it to a degree is is a result of that lack of physicality and, and body strength and uh, trying to survive on that on that circuit when it, when the level rises up. Yeah. But uh, you know. A lot of high majors are doing things differently now, Jeremy. They, they, the recruiting model is different. They, and I, I, this isn't specifically towards Jackson and Illinois, but there are 13 scholarships, and you cannot keep 13 players happy nowadays. You just right. can't. There's a lot of programs that don't want 13. They want, you know, 12. Keep one open. Uh, there's the NIL factor. Can you get? Can you back end that that roster with some NIL guys that aren't going to chew up any money? Uh, you try to find ones that are, you know, again, like a player like Jax, it's not specifically him, but maybe is okay with the idea of sitting, redshirting, developing, and again, with all those other things, not eating up NIL, not, uh, you know, it, it, there's just a puzzle now in recruiting and, and roster management that is way different than it was just three years ago. And, and I'm not saying that's what Illinois sees. I'm just saying that's, that's the case and that's how i view a lot of these scholarship situations at the high major level no i've i've thought man could illinois get back to more in-state recruiting because those guys might stay around a little bit longer uh in developmental pieces you might have one or two spots available for that so i i don't disagree with that thought um i want to ask you too i mean when your name's Gil, you're in Illinois, you're a pretty good basketball player. A lot of fans are going to notice an Illinois offered Phoenix Gill last year. Uh, doesn't do the AAU thing, which I find really interesting with, with Kendall and Phoenix's decision on that, but seemed to have a pretty good uh, event at Riverside Brookfield. So what, what have you made of his development over the past year, Joe? It's interesting, the AAU thing. And again, I don't think there's a one road or one fit for every kid and family. But it is interesting because I have – morphed as an evaluator over the years from being like I don't know what the percentage would be 7 60 40 high school favorable just to watch versus now like 70 30 AAU or 60 40 AAU 
Uh, and now I value getting both of them so much that you miss it when you don't you don't see it. So I'd love to see you know Phoenix Gill play uh, on the circuit and because it, it does the, the it's a two different animals, right. but there are higher level athletes, there are higher level you know players that are all on one court together. It's just fact. So uh, he's just been super super steady. He hasn't had this massive rise. Uh, it, it's just the steady progression. He, you know, the one thing, and I hate when you have to compare to other players, let alone your own father. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have that explosiveness, uh, the type of athleticism that Kendall had. But, you know, he's, he's probably a little small right now. But again, he's still maturing physically, right. developing. I think he's getting more athletic each time I see him. Uh, you know, I, I have him right in that mid plus, you know, high minus range on the bubble uh, of becoming a legit high major. And um, I, I just think he's a ton of substance to him. And I, I just think he's not going to be this flashy eye opening player, but one that you really, really gravitate towards the more you watch. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, his rise this this year because I love the jumps they make, you know, from uh, that that classification from when you you know you finish in March till November, and I expect him at Saint Ignatius to have a that type of a jump even without that AAU um, experience. Feels like substance would be a really high remark by an evaluator, Joe. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and, and we talk about Ty Rogers, we talk about Marez Johnson. Yeah. Uh, you know, not that they don't have other things, but there is a ton of substance to those two kids. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. Every roster is built differently. Every coach has uh, importance of characteristics and attributes. And and and, and they, they say – every coach is going to say they want that. Right. But every program in the country does not have it. Right. Joe, I want to ask you about a guy who is transferring out of state but played in state last year, uh, Jeremiah Fears. I saw him, I think, a year ago. And I was like, oh, this is the Steph Curry generation. Uh, Jeremiah Fears feels like he is he is a part of that, just a shot maker, playmaker. Um, but what have you seen from his development? Because it seems like Illinois has started to prioritize him. Same stage. Again, we're comparing family members here. But uh, same stage. I, I From the day I saw Jeremiah, I've liked Jeremiah every step of the way as a higher-level prospect and player than Jeremy. Uh, Jeremiah is my cup of tea. He is my <laughs> type of player, bucket getter, plays with, uh, you know, a pace that I love while also staying in control. And he, he's a bona fide, legitimate high major. Uh, I'd love for him to add another inch and you get nitpicky with size and stuff, but he's plenty big enough as far as high major. But yeah, he, he's electric. And he's been playing up, obviously, an age group at AAU. It's disappointing. I would love to have seen him. He, he'd be by, by far away my top-ranked prospect in that class if he were still in Illinois. Uh, so, yeah, he's a no-brainer, high major. I think he's on his way to being a potential, you know, McDonald's All-American, which Jeremy was as well. I just think Jeremiah is a better player, a better prospect, and a higher upside. Joe, before I let you go, I do, I do want to touch on the, the big picture of – the transfer portal uh, in all of this, how has it impacted high school recruiting from what you've seen? 
Oh, big time. Um, but I think it's about to change a little bit, Jeremy, with 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 the COVID year being gone coming up another year. Well, another year early, but uh, if, and I keep repeating this in interviews I do and stuff. But you do the math: three hundred fifty, three hundred sixty Division One programs. They average two, two and a half seniors on a roster. All those kids are able to come back. That's do the math: eight hundred, nine hundred scholarships that are floating out there or eaten up by these kids that college coaches want because they've got four years of college experience under their belt. So that's 900 scholarships that are, you know, being utilized that otherwise wouldn't be there. And somebody feels the effect of that. And that is junior college kids and high school players. So I think it'll clear that that'll clear up a little bit going forward here after we get through the, the COVID kids of the extra year of eligibility. Um, I think smart high school kids and families and their people are realizing not to play around anymore. Uh, if if you find a fit, you find a place that you really like, you need to snap it up. Last year, last year's class year, I, mean, I, I had to go back and look, but of my top 20 prospects, I think 19 of them were committed by the time school started. Hmm. And if you go back three, four, five years ago, there were always, I could go back to the previous year and, and where they were still taking visits in September and taking their officials, you know, first week in October. And that used to be the time where yeah. college coaches put everything in and get them in on a football weekend, get the signed seal and get it done, you know. And some of the high, high, high profile kids are, are still doing that. But those low majors and mid majors, they would even try to, you know, work that and, and manage those weekends. And now families are like, you know what? We like this place. We got a great opportunity. This is a great fit academically, socially, uh, basketball wise. Boom. Let's get this done. Uh, so I think that sped up the process a little bit. Meanwhile, what's pushing back is some of the colleges are, are, whoa, 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 you know, um, <laughs> slow down. We want to, you know, manage our roster. We want to see what we have because we want to see what we get in the portal. Uh, in the spring. So it is a little, uh, you know, odd that the two forces are coming together in that way, but it's definitely changed. It's altered everything. Uh, in springtime, it's just a mess. It's just, they're going to, the calendar is proposed for recruiting is to clear up April for college coaches. There won't be any live periods next April if it's approved, uh, where there's two live weekends now. So those college coaches were, and I, I, I can't get over being involved with that way I am. And I know they've cited this too in interviews probably with you and you've heard it yeah. from the Illinois staff. Just the intensity it is from March to early May. It's just, it's wild. And the hours, that used to be their downtime. Yeah, most of, them, most of them not even going on the trail right now for high school, right? Because they got to recruit their own roster or recruit the, the transfers. Yeah, those live weekends are really dead in terms of their 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 evaluations are only half because they're like this uh, the, <laughs> the entire time checking the portal. And the two other staff members are on campus hosting a transfer, you know, and they're not even out. So that'll be good. You know, to get let the college coaches focus on the portal in the spring. I think there's one live period in May. That's the proposal. Uh, so that'll alleviate a little bit of it. But yeah, to, to your original question has changed wholeheartedly with, uh, and, and as a result, there's 
there were already fewer Division One players coming out of Illinois because of the talent, and then that is even exasperated by the fact of what I said earlier with all these fifth-year guys that were lurking still around. College coaches didn't want a high school kid for the last two, three years. If, if they could avoid it, they just didn't because why am I going to take a high school kid, develop him, have him transfer for one, or if I have an option of taking a kid who's played at, you know, if I'm a high major that's played at George Mason for three years, or uh, if I'm at Illinois State, somebody who's played at Austin P for four years. And, I, you know, it's just you want the high school – Man, you want the the, the 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 veteran that's been through the wars and the grind and knows what they're they're getting with them. You mentioned Illinois State there, Joe. This is the last one I got for you. Do you feel like it all evens out for the mid major at the end? Because obviously, the frustration of developing somebody and then they just go to the to the next place with the immediate transfer rule, but they also get the people on the way down. So, does it even out? For no, them or no, I don't. I think it's I think it's the worst job in college basketball. <laughs> um, <laughs> worst job in college basketball to me is a mid major head coach and a high major with no NIL money. Hmm. Uh, and there are programs that are struggling NIL money in the high major level even still. So I, I know what you're saying, yes. Yeah. But there's so many question marks with those high majors that are coming down. Either they never played or they didn't fit in or where you know what you got as a mid-major with this this kid that you that, that you have recruited, you got to know, you've developed, you've seen them play. They've been in your your locker room for two three years. That's that. I mean, that's hard to lose. Um, and I just think I'm coming out with an article here, Jeremy, in a little bit that how we're never ever 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 going to see the Southern Illinois that we saw with mm-hmm. from Rich Heron to uh, Bruce Weber to Chris Lowry to it, it's just those runs will I, I just can't see ever happening again um because those players that were there there were some stud players some dudes that would never have stuck around yeah i mean some of them might have but you know some of those stars are those are pros they were going to leave they were going to uh go the high major route uh and you and the other thing you can't afford to do too much anymore jeremy at the mid-major level is redshirt I mean, right. you're asking yourself for trouble for the most part. If you're sitting the kid, letting him develop, getting nothing out of him, then he comes as a redshirt freshman, plays a little, and then boom, he's gone. I, it, it's really hard to go that route. Some cases you still have to, but um, yeah, it, it's just, uh, I feel, and they don't, you know, the mid majors are, are, are scrapping. The low majors don't have hardly any NIL. NIL. So the, the mid majors, feel like I mean there's some that have a hundred to two hundred thousand uh in their in their coffers and some that have chump change so it's same way at the high major level too but not as much Joe Henderson City Suburban Hoops Report Chicago Sun-Times contributor you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Hoops Report Joe always appreciate the chats and the insight man uh appreciate the time hey Jeremy I appreciate it anytime Great stuff as always from Joe Henderson, City Suburban Hoops Report. Yes, he is the goods. Appreciate you all for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, you can always check us out on our YouTube channel. We upload most of our interviews right there on YouTube. So if you're uh, 
late night YouTube watcher, just get caught down those rabbit holes, just like I do, you can uh, follow us on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications bell, hit the like button. We appreciate when you guys do that. It helps us out so much. So please go and do that on our YouTube channel. Of course, you can check out everything at IlliniInquire.com, all the content. I talked with Khalil Valentine, the four-star running back, about why he chose Illinois, and he kind of let me in that he was feeling Utah. So what changed his mind after his Illinois official visit? He dives into that. Joy Wagner and I are going deep into our position primers for Illinois football. Joy just put up the tight end primers. I've done wide receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks. Joy will have the offensive line coming up. A lot of fun to dive deep into those things, kind of rehash uh, a little bit about what happened last year, but look forward uh, to who's Who's going to step up at, at these positions? Who's really important at these positions? And what Illinois needs at these positions? So getting you ready for training camp, which is just around the corner. Got Big Ten Media Day in two weeks. And, and with this Northwestern thing, uh, that's going to be a huge topic. Um, I, again, I'm really interested to see if Northwestern has any representation there. You know, that's never been the case. Like even Penn State, after the paternal thing, like they showed up uh, for that. That was the next year, I guess. But just uh, it's, it's an interesting time and uh, we'll see what all these coaches have to say about it as well so that's just two weeks away we have the latest from the recruiting trail on basketball Eric Bossy has his biggest stock risers Derek Piper is going to have a scouting report on Jason Jackson and more at IlliniInquire.com everybody have a great day take care of each other we'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast bye everybody